It almost seems like a bit of a, a fool's errand to ask, how do you measure an employer brand? After all, an employer brand is a completely abstract concept. How do you measure the value of your favorite book, of a parent's love, of anything you care about? And yet, we live in the real world. And when businesses decide to invest money in something, they want to know if it was worth it. So in this, the 10th episode of The Brand Plan, we continue our discussion on data, focusing on output data. How do you measure or look at how well your brand performs? You're listening to The Brand Plan, the podcast about the intersection of talent, brand, and strategy with your hosts, Marcus Body of 33 and James Ellis of Employer Brand Labs. Hey, Marcus. Hey, James. How's it going? It's good. It's good. Uh, it's been a crazy week, so I'm excited to kind of get past this week into something resuming, resembling normalcy, as if such a thing may exist. Absolutely. It's that pre-summer vacation rush when people are trying to get things signed off before they all their stakeholders disappear for a month. So yeah, yeah. it's been a busy time. Yeah. And, and let's be fair, you know, for people in our line of work, September is when it's like, how do we get in people's calendars so that when the budget comes, they remember, who is that guy I talked to? Who yeah. is that guy? They sounded smart. I got to write that down. They need some money. <laughs> right. That's the game. Absolutely. So today, so last week we talked about data inputs. No one's going to be shocked to hear that today we're talking about data outputs. And that means, yes, that's right, kids. We're talking about how do you measure employer brand? And this is just the question, it's the Gordian knot of employer branding. For my money, it is, it is, it, if, look, I'm going to give a, a full disclosure. I don't think we're going to come to an answer at the end of this podcast. I think we'll come with a lot of answers, but not necessarily the answer. And I know everybody's like, what is the thing? You're not going to get that. But I think, I suspect, we haven't really gone into this. And, you know, this is the, the insight into how we record. We do this very live. Um, I suspect we'll come up with a lot of good ways to think and talk about and approach it so that you understand what you're doing. I think that's the ultimate goal. Marcus, am I misconstruing? Where do you think we're going? Where do you think uh, we're going? No, I've got an equation down here. That No, no, it's absolutely right. There is there is no sort of hard answer. I think it's... It's the question that so many of you ask us, the agencies, when you send out an invitation to tender to come and do an EVP and employee brand for you is, is, by the way, how do we measure one of these things? And it's one yeah. of those questions I've answered maybe 200 times in the last five years in writing for companies of all different sizes. Look, here are the things you can measure. Here are the things you can't. I guess the other phrase we're going to get into today is return on investment. How are we going to explain what we mean by return on investment? And can we? And what? It's going to be easier for some of you than others to use that phrase, yeah. but we'll we'll get on to that. I don't want to kind of jump straight to return on investment, but yeah, how do we measure everything? How do we measure what yeah, we've done? And full disclosure, even if you had an equation, most of us would be like, no, really, what's the answer? We don't we don't have, <laughs> we don't know what that means. What's that really weird sign? I don't know. Okay, right? That's, yeah, we're not math people. We're not math people. Absolutely. All right. So, so let's 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 start with some basics, right? Um, hmm. Maybe we got to just have a quick reminder because we're going to talk about employer brand. We're going to talk about EVP. We're going to quote unquote measure them. For those of you listening, I'm using air quotes and bunny ears. Um, we're going to measure these things. So let's start by just kind of have a quick three, 30 second reminder. What is the difference between the two? Absolutely. So the very first thing you need to work out when you're measuring something is what am I measuring? So for example, some of you use the phrase to employer brand to mean employer reputation, in which case the thing mm -hmm. you're measuring is what do other people think of you? But some of you don't, and I, I tend not to. And by employer brand, you mean the stuff that we've done, in which case you're trying to measure what is the activity that we've done and what impact has it had. And, you know, and then it gets even more complicated when you get into things like employee experience and employee yeah. engagement and how are you going to measure those things? And some of you do and don't have responsibility for measuring those things as well. But yeah, absolutely. Point number one is what actually are you trying to measure? Do you have a really clear idea of what the thing is that you want a measurement of before you start looking around for what are the things? The absolute cardinal error is to start without doing that and just see, right, what measurements exist and then how shall I use them? And yeah. this is this is such a common error. It has a name. I, I, it's called the McNamara fallacy, um, which dates right back to the Vietnam War when the US Secretary of Defense was trying to work out whether the US was winning. And he decided to count dead bodies because that's what could be counted. And he came to the conclusion mm -hmm. that the US was winning. And of course they weren't. But 
he was able to say that they were because he was counting the thing that was countable and, and took no aspect of how the Vietnamese people felt about the situation. So don't yeah, make think, the Mac fallacy. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's telling that the way we talk about employer branding involves referring to the Vietnam War. Right. And I think I think that's telling on a lot of levels that this is a bit of a and here's another word quagmire. It can be a mess. It can be very hard. And you're right. We are, you know, when we're in a situation where we are overwhelmed with data, we just assumed, oh, we just there's a magic formula. You pluck it out of the air. And the truth is it's it's not so much about the numbers per se, it's about the thinking ahead of the numbers to say, what exactly are you trying to get out of this? Exactly. Right. In the Vietnam War, counting bodies is a data point that's easily accessible and you can collect them and that's great, but what is really going on? And that's the, the, the part where uh, I think people who don't live in a data space get confused. They think the data is there to give them an answer. And the truth is most of the time data gives them better questions at best. Yeah. I mean, the, the good thing is, of course, that everyone listening to this podcast has done the strategy bit properly. And during the strategy phase, as we advise them to, they've set themselves some really specific objectives of what they're trying to achieve. In which case, you're, when you come to measurement, things become very easy because you've got a very definite idea of what it was you were actually trying to do in the first place. And therefore, that should be dictating you know, totally. what, what you are then going to use as your measures of have I succeeded or not. If you didn't do that phase early on, then this bit becomes really difficult because you are now scrabbling around of what data points are available and how am I going to try and tie them back in a way that says, please don't fire me. And in fact, please give me more budget for next year. Yes. And it's a very messy situation to find yourself in. I mean, maybe, maybe to get things wrong, I, I tend to talk to clients about there are three kinds of measures that you mm. might use. And they are all, all, in, order, in order of increasing importance, but also increasing difficulty of actually tracking them. So, and, and, that's, not, and that's not random. That is, that is yeah. by design almost, right? So, so kind of the easy but least important thing to measure, but you should definitely do it, is measure the actual project you have done. So yeah. did it happen on time? Did it happen to budget? Did it happen in the way that you said it would? Are the stakeholders involved happy with the way that it happened? And, and to some extent, you're measuring the project itself. So if we created a toolkit for our employer brand, how many people downloaded it and are they using it? Yeah, it's a basic kind of uptake and acceptance kind of measure. But these are measures of your project, not of the brand or of the reputation. They are really measures bad. of did I do my project properly? And it's definitely a thing you should do, but probably nobody cares except you and your immediate line manager and your agency who will care about it a lot, but no one else yep. in your business cares about these measures. They should be very important to you. And then I want to point out that that's not, hold on, hold on that that's not just an agency thing. I know that because we're kind of sitting in an agency space, we, 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 mm. we are thinking in terms of agency. If you're doing this completely in-house, when yep. you start a project, you should also measure this. You rewrote all the job postings. Did it, was it, were, yes. were recruiters happy? Did hiring managers use them? Did they show up? Are, you know, is there feedback on it? So being able to, and, and, you know, to some, to some extent, because in-house employer branders tend to be in this weird amorphous space where they don't have yeah. very strong metrics. This is a great starting place to hold yourself accountable. A word that we don't use enough because, but it's still crucial. Exactly. So let's say at the start of the project, you set yourself an objective to make, the job adverts better. So you mm -hmm. might want to look at, okay, how am I going to measure whether the job adverts are better? But also, how do I measure how the people writing those job adverts in talent acquisition feel about the task? Do they feel like life's got easier and life's got quicker? Actually, you might have achieved quite a lot if they say, meh, I don't know if it's better, but I am doing it faster. You've just made them more productive. Okay, that, That's a good okay. thing that you have achieved. Yeah. And so looking at some quite hard tax things about what has been the impact of my particular project good and bad and tracking that is important and I think mm -hmm. it's it's but the the what you shouldn't do with that stuff is go and show your CEO that stuff they don't care it's too yeah, like no. it's too close to you but you should care about it massively your manager should care about it this is the thing that will probably get you a, a kind of a pat on the back if you can yeah. show you've done some really good stuff here and it's valuable to say, okay, I put X amount of work into it. I got Y output. Would it have been better to hire a consultant, an expert to come in and just kind of knock it out? Yeah. Right. There are, there are times when you go, look, I don't have any money, so I'm gonna have to do it on my own. And I come from that school, so I'm all about that. But it doesn't mean you're good at it. And it doesn't yeah. mean the fact that you could cobble it together, that there wasn't a better approach. And in fact, 
taking the first shot is a great way of actually proving that yes. there's a demand for this, a need for this project, a need for this idea. You are just not completely equipped to fulfill the need of that idea, at which point you could say, hey, can I get 20 grand? Can I get a grand? Can I get whatever I need to get some support to make this happen? And this is where you're going to stray slightly over from, so sort of from project measures into project outcomes. And this is where you're going to start going, go. okay, so what about the things that then happened as a result of this? So depending on what the objectives you set yourself were, this might be, have I improved employee engagement? Have I improved application numbers? Have I improved application quality? Have I improved hiring capabilities? Have I, you know, the, these are where you're going to start getting into stuff that is more kind of, bigger metrics that possibly are no longer your sole responsibility anymore. And these yeah. are things that other people are involved in as well, but that your project is influencing and helping with. A, if, you know, if the hiring managers are awful and putting everyone off, you're still not going to hire anyone, but this is no, you know, that's not your fault. You are a contributor to this stuff. And some of it you'll be able to track really, really well, particularly anything digital, you'll be able to track really well. Some of it you won't be able to track quite as clearly and you're going to have to sort of get into well, we did this project and this has gone up over here. That can't be a coincidence time, but you, it's going to be awfully difficult for you to prove exactly that this is this is kind of what you were responsible for. And then the layer even further away is the business outcomes, which is what the business mm -hmm. really cares about, which is profit, productivity, utilization, new clients. Cost savings. Exactly. So the, the big business numbers over there, and you are now an even smaller contributor to those. You are a contributor to them. But it's very, very difficult for you to draw a precise line saying, well, we redid the website, and so now we're more profitable. But that's a very, very <laughs> difficult diagram. For you the word you're looking for is tenuous at best. <laughs> well, yeah, the thing is, for some of you, it won't be. There are some of you where this is stunningly easy to do, and there are some of you where this oh. is impossible to do. So I'm going to give you an example of where this was very easy for us to do, because actually it kind of surprised me how easy it was. I was doing some work a while ago. We were talking with a client who uh, runs an outsourced call center for mm. other institutions, and so they are basically selling the time of people in seats. And the more people they have sitting in seats, the more money they can make, because literally their product is how many people do we have in chairs on any oh. given day. And so yeah. actually you can put a number and say, we did this project and now we have more people on seats and fewer of them are off sick. And therefore we made an extra $10 million last month. Mm -hmm. and, and it is actually that straightforward to go, here is the profit of what we have done. But most of you don't live in that world. Most of you are not going to be able not? to draw that line. <laughs> And, and that's the thing that makes me crazy. It's like, look, there's the, you have entire teams who work for the CFO who do nothing but calculate, you know, costs and values and spending and all that yeah. stuff. Why can't we calculate the value of or the, the cost of an empty seat, if nothing else, just simply that? And most companies toy with it at best. They, they kind of dink around, they play around, and well, it's, it's roughly this. And that number is so soft, it makes it impossible for talent acquisition to say, okay, it, thus, it's imp we can spend $100,000 because we know we can make that number go up by 20%, saving us $200,000. But those numbers get fuzzy at that stage. And I always, it, it just boggles the mind for me. It's just that businesses should care about that stuff more. It kind of depends how homogenous your business is, how easy that is mm -hmm. to do. So if you work for a law firm, someone will oh, have yeah. a number for the lawyer at this level should be utilized at this rate, should be billed out at this much, should be spending this much of their time. Right. Actually, that is very well quantified. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's much easier for you to say, right, because I reduced turnover by 5%, there is a cash value which I can put on that because we know how much that person is worth and how much money they generate every week. Yeah. But if you don't work for a big homogenous business like that, that's a lot harder to do. Right. Yeah. And for many of you, you don't have that number. It would be awfully difficult for you to create that number. You know, I was chatting to our, our, our RFD earlier saying, could we do this? And it was like, mm, that would be quite difficult for us to do. Which is amazing because you charge hourly roughly. I mean, you're one of you're, you're the kind of business where you should know the relative value of each individual person fairly precisely. But so even for you, it's tough. Yeah, completely. Because actually, the reality is none of us are at 100% utilization. So if someone's True. not there, it doesn't necessarily mean we're making less money than we were. Yeah. It just means it's not quite as straightforward as that. And I think, you know, when you when you start talking about measurement, the biggest mistake you can make with measurement is to try and use too many of them and mm -hmm. 
and start using things that are no longer credible or that have no credibility with the person that you're showing it to. Yeah. And I think you, you need to think through when I'm doing this measurement, you might measure lots of stuff, but what you show to who depends on who those people are. Mm -hmm. And so your CEO, unless you're a very small company, your CEO probably isn't interested in cost per hire because no. that's not the thing that, whereas they are more interested in something like employer reputation they are interested mm -hmm. in. How well are we regarded is something that they're interested in. Whereas if you're talking to the head of talent acquisition, they are totally interested in yes. cost per hire and time to hire. They are, you know, that's going to be something that's relevant to them. So you might, as the employer brand person, measure lots of different things, but you might need to share different measures with different people because they're the ones that are yeah. relevant to their role and which bits they're going to be interested in. And some of them, I'm afraid, are only interesting to you and are yes. not interesting to the rest of your business. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be measuring them. Absolutely do. But yeah. you, you'd kind of I need to think through who you're going to, yeah, who you're going to show yeah. what. And we dive into that pretty well in the, I think episode six, talking to strangers, where we're talking the different levels of the Completely. business and what they care about, and what they need to know about. And I think it's interesting, and I'd like to get your, before we kind of pivot right back to the actual conversation at hand, yeah. what is your take on, so obviously most businesses treat talent acquisition as a cost center, meaning it is a thing the business has to spend money on and it cannot extract monetary value. That would be called a profit center. That's your sales team. That's your product team that, you know, I'm just saying this is MBA, MBA 101, right? Is there value in trying to quantify from a, just a, a value standpoint, a, a brings money into the business standpoint for TA to stop treating itself like a cost center, which point your metrics are all about how much can we save? How much can we, you know, squeeze value out of the money given to a profit center where you're showing by investing in TA, you're actually getting value for the rest of the company. Is that a pipe dream? Is that just a kind of a nice, warm teddy bear you hug at night to feel better about the world? Or is that something we can actually make happen? No, I think I think you can definitely do that. I mean, so back to that, you know, at a, one end of things, there's that call center environment I talked about earlier, where they can absolutely point to we are a profit center because there is more mm -hmm. business out, there is more new business coming our way than we can handle. We yeah. are the people who determine how much. And some businesses are in that place right now is they have more work on than they have people to do it. The more people they hire, the more money they can make. In that yeah. case, you can you are definitely now a profit center, really, because you are the determinant of how much profit that company can make. And there's some of you are in that situation right now because you are really struggling to hire and you're not struggling to find work for your business or you know clients or customers or whatever it is you do so you can definitely do that i think the other one is much more subtle and is harder but is also of value which is the trying to prove that there is value to the business in the quality of the people that you hire and that that makes a difference so let's take a, a an example i can talk about right you could go a creative is a creative is a creative, but I know some creative teams are better at doing oh, no. brilliant concepts and winning awards than other creative yeah. teams. The quality of the creative teams that we hire at 33 is absolutely crucial to the value of our whole business. Because if we didn't have those award-winning teams, people wouldn't want to come and work with us. And it, it absolutely yeah. affects our new business pipeline. And we know this factually. We know that lots of clients, when they talk to us, one of the reasons they have first got in touch with us is we had a search round for who builds websites and we saw you've won loads of awards for winning websites. Right, so we know there is a cash value of having the kinds of creatives who can build award-winning websites. Because if they weren't doing that, this new business pipeline disappears. Yeah. And so some of you will be able to do that. Some of you, that's a lot harder to draw that mm -hmm. line between the quality of employees and a positive financial outcome. Yeah, so it, it, it's a function of some jobs, or I'm not going to say commoditized, even though that's the word that springs to mind, is that sometimes yeah, some sure. jobs have a, have a minimal variance of how the much value a yes. mediocre player and a great player can make. Like if you're, a, if you're talking about a restaurant, the executive chef has a huge impact. Yes. They have a huge variance on how much they bring. The line cook... A yes. good line cook and an amazing line cook, very close, very, very close. And they're not going to change the game. They're not going to change the business. They're not going to have a Johnny Ives kind of effect on the business. And so absolutely, where you're, so when you're measuring quality of talent, and quality of applications and quality of hires, it is on primarily jobs which have a huge variance of, of value it brings to the company. 
So what we're really talking about here, like, in fact, let's let's bring in any catchphrase. catchphrase. What we're talking about here is employee fungibility. It's how interchangeable. Okay. Think, okay, I'm done. Employee fungibility, I think, has to be has to be our watch. But no, I mean, it, you're right. It's if I took the average person at this job and swap, you know, is there any difference between good and okay? Yeah. And yeah. how much a call, yeah, call center, inbound sales, you know, coordinator. Uh, there are a lot of roles where it's like, look, and, and they are very often junior roles. They're more entry levels because yeah. that's how you kind of cut your teeth and figure figure your stuff out. Yeah. But there are plenty of more senior roles where you're like, look, the difference between this person and this person is not going to be a huge change to the company. But you, you can spot these roles really easily, which is where is the loads of salary variation? Yes. In roles where there's loads of salary variation, it's normally because there is genuine difference in terms of the impact of having someone really good versus having someone mediocre. Um, yeah. You will see a lot more variation in the salary awarded to that role than in roles where, frankly, everybody does, once they've reached a minimum level of competence, there's comparatively yeah. little difference. Between. Yeah, it's threshold based. Well, exactly. And then it will be about simply, okay, is there an empty chair value to how much I'm able to keep those seats filled? Because who's in them is less important than how many of them are full versus versus yeah. how many of them are not. But yeah, I mean, that's, this is the conversation that we get into whenever people go, what's going to be the return of return on investment of yeah. doing this thing? But I guess, the, the so, so let's recap. Let's let's recap because I think we're leading back into it. Thank goodness because we've we've welcome to our tangent. It's time to get back to the rest of our show. Your career side is a kind of litmus test for your entire talent strategy. It should pique the interest and engage the people you most want to hire. Does your career site connect your company to the people you are trying to attract? Is it tailored to what candidates want to learn and how they want to learn it? Have you even updated it in the last year or two? If it's time to rethink your career site and make it a more strategic element in your recruiting plan, stay tuned. So the three levels of uh, output metrics are, did the project get done? Does it make spec? Did it under budget, on time, et cetera, et cetera. Very simple, very project manager-esque kind of metrics. Two... Did it do the thing it was supposed to do? Did it make an impact? If you were supposed to change all the job postings, did all the job postings get changed? Did people read them? Did they get read more often? Did they tend to click on buttons more often? That's an impact. And then finally, return on investment, which means thinking about the second layer in a financial kind of mindset. Not, And I think we're about to get into this idea that return on investment isn't always investment in terms of monetary spend. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's effort. Sometimes it's reputation or there's all sorts of ways to model that. So where do we get? We know how to measure the first one. Yeah, yeah. And I think if, and I think if you scope that project well, you should have a metric by which you measure the second layer. So let's get into that third layer. Let's talk about how you talk about this in terms of ROI. So ROI is a phrase I hate because I, I kind of feel like there's something a little bit dishonest about it is, is you're not making an investment, you're spending some money. Let's, let's be yeah. honest, that's what you're doing. You know, for me, an investment is something where you can divest later. Buying a house is an investment, buying some shares is an investment, you can divest later on, you're gonna make a return while you're doing it. Whereas what we're not doing here is making an investment, we're spending some money, right? And, and spending yeah. money is a good thing. I bought lunch today, that was spending some money and it was a good thing, I need to eat lunch. It's not a bad thing to spend, but what you, what you really want to look at is, you know, did I get the benefit out of that spend? So it's cost benefit, mm-hmm. I think, is a phrase that seems to have disappeared okay. and everybody talks about ROI, but you know, they mean cost benefit and analysis of what they're doing. And, and I guess this is where, you know, really, strictly speaking, pedantically, if it's going to be a return on investment, it has to be a financial return to compare with a financial investment. A return on investment should be a ratio. It's usually expressed as a percentage, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be, but it should be, you you should be able to draw a a dollar or sterling or whatever currency you're in, Swiss francs, you should be able to point at a number again. Oh, they switched over to euros. I can't keep track of everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, you should be able to point at a financial number. Yeah. And for some of you, that's very, very difficult to do. Some mm. of you might be able to do it through a number that has disappeared. And the classic one is is spending on external recruiters. You know, and yeah. are we, we were spending X million a year on external. Mm-hmm. You know, then we did the employer brand project, and now we're not spending that money. Now, it's not really a return, you've removed a cost, but it'll do, you know, it's, it's kind of, it is at least, you can you can kind of squint at it and go, yeah, we'll call that a return on investment because it's money we're not spending. 
Yeah. Okay. And and it has the benefit of being hard money. It's not exactly. uh, time. It's not all previously invested. It's not full-time staff. It is if you did it, you spent it. If you didn't, you didn't spend it is actual savings. There's no kind of like equivocating around that. But back to your point, this is where some of the investment numbers are not entirely honest, because sometimes the investment that you say is the budget you were given. Now, if you're going to be honest about the investment, is the budget you were given and your salary, if you spent your whole mm -hmm. time doing this thing, and the time of everybody who came and attended a focus group and the time of every senior leader who did and the time of your statement. Actually, the investment is much bigger much, than the budget much. that you had. In fact, your budget might be one of the smallest pieces of that puzzle. You know, oh, yeah. All, it's almost going to be negligible by the time you factor in all the people you're talking to and the time you're taking up. Exactly. And, and you know, this is where the downside of working for those businesses where people they've got a very good grip on how much everyone's time is worth is that is very quantifiable. You know, yeah. if I'm doing this with a law firm or a management consultancy, we can cost how much the focus groups cost. And my time will be the cheapest thing on that mm -hmm. running that focus group. The, the time of my participants is far more expensive than mine. And, and this is this is the reality for some of you is that that really that investment is very substantial yeah. um, and far more than just the budget figure that you had there. Have you heard about the company that puts in every single meeting a calculator? They say rough cost per hour of each person in that meeting Ooh. and the clock ticks up. And so you can say, hey, uh, we just hung out and talked for half an hour. That cost $1,600. What did $1,600 buy us? And I wonder, and I know that that's a, it's going to be a really interesting experiment to see if that changes how people perceive how time and money is equatable, yeah. or do you become blind to it? Oh yeah, 1600 bucks, whatever. It's not yeah. a big deal. And I think that'll be an interesting experiment. But I think you're right. Getting that sense of your time, and not just your time, because your time was going to spend however you're going to spend it. Talking to that VP of whatever... Yeah. That cost you a thousand dollars, even though you didn't have to pay. Somebody else did not get to have that conversation, have a conversation with that person because you did. They did not show up to a meeting. They did not build something. They did not do something because they were spending time with you, and that is real time. I mean, I've absolutely done that calculation with clients when it comes to um, something we're undoubtedly going to get onto later, which is employer brand rollouts. And I did a calculation for a client not long ago where they said, "Oh, we want to roll this out to all of our staff," and I was like, "Do you?" I'm going to tell you, because I know how much your staff earn, because they were on the minimum wage. Ouch. I'm going to tell you how much money that costs if we have them all in an hour's workshop. 10,000 people times. Yeah. 20 bucks an hour times. Well, yeah. So yeah, 10 pounds an hour, 10,000 people. That's going to cost 100,000 pounds before we do anything. That costs 100,000 pounds to have those people come to an hour's session. Do you mm -hmm. want to do that? Because you have to pay them. They're like they're, they're, <laughs> So yeah you you are paying for this time and, and that is far more than any budget that they're yeah. going to put towards the actual activity that appeared in that workshop or in that roadshow. and yeah. it, you do have to start i think particularly internal comms people are very good at doing this maths because they think about it this a lot and it's why yeah. you know less is more is such a true thing 100 percent. internal comms professionals have to think about this a lot when we do recruitment marketing very often we don't because we think candidates time is free Actually, it it's is. their time. It's not our time. Yeah, exactly. It's their time. <laughs> so we're really bad at accounting for people's time in a way that internal yeah. comms professionals do think about this really consciously. We're going to launch a newsletter. Right. Well, the first thing that does is take up lots of people's time. Are we sure we want mm -hmm. to do that? Or, yeah. you know, we want everyone to watch this video. How much does that cost for everyone in the business to watch this video? Well, it depends how long it is. You do have to do that maths. Yeah. And I think if you're an in-house professional, I, I can imagine the conversation where they say, okay, let's roll this thing out. And you have, you say, have that kind of hold on a moment. Let's do the quick maths on that. Hey, you got 5,000 people and they make about the, do you really want me to spend $40,000 doing that? Now the question, the answer isn't actually interesting. I think the fact that you as the in-house employer brand professional ask the question changes how leadership sees you. And I'm yeah. always there to kind of say, what are the little goofy hacks and tricks you can put into play to elevate the perception of you and your function because in most companies those two things are the same you are employer brand employer brand is you so as you are able to elevate yourself in the eyes of leadership you're actually elevating employer brand so they, it's a, it's further uh, a method by which you can elevate the function i'm always for that completely but of course you can now using the same logic you can also do the reverse of this maths which is to go right if Hiring managers are going to spend less time interviewing. How much time, what does it cost for a hiring manager to do an interview? Well, they've got to submit a request form, then they've got to do yeah. this, then they've got to do that. And you could add up how much time does a hiring manager spend on a hiring process? 
and roughly what do we pay them typically and therefore yeah. it costs this much money for them to just go through a hiring process whether they hire or not so a failed hiring process costs this much money with no benefit oh. and then they have to do it again and yeah. a, a successful hiring process still costs this much money and if what i do reduces how often we have to do that here is how much money that mm -hmm. saves us every time ka-ching mm -hmm. ka-ching 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 that's a very persuasive number um and actually, it's, it's particularly as persuasive to the people who you're telling it's your time, by the way, that I'm saving here as yeah. well. It's your yeah, exactly. costs that we are recovering here. So, yeah. you know, we touched on that in the previous episode. Saving time is a very powerful thing to be able to say you're going to do. And that's probably easier for you to quantify than because we hired better people, they performed better, yeah, so they hard. were more it's productive. Hard. And that, that's a really hard it's fuzzy bunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the... The fuzzier that logic is, the more the other people you're talk giving it to yeah, will start there it is. looking at you with a side eye and going, really? Are you expecting me to buy this? <laughs> and, and they're not wrong, right? So no. The, the shorter that line of logic is, the better. And so, you know, keep the chains as short as you can to things that you can actually draw that logical line of. Well, if we recruit fewer people, this happens less often. If we recruit people yeah. who like it more here this happens less often if we right yeah and then you can calculate the value of that yeah i very often you know when asked i counsel look it's very easy to come up with a laundry list an insanely long laundry list of all the impacts a stronger employer brand will bring the company or has brought the company and i think the more you lean on the laundry list the the worse off you are because it feels yeah. like a kid, you know, asking Santa for everything in the catalog. I want that. And I want one of those. I want that. Like, it just feels like kind of, okay, you start with one core number or metric or ID and you say, we, you know, and, I, and you tie it back to what was the project supposed to do? The project yeah. was supposed to attract more people. And again, I'm not using that because it's a good idea. I'm just saying it's an, an idea, but the project was supposed to attract people. Great. Did it? Yes. Show exactly yeah, how much. By the way, there's some other, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there's some ancillary knock-on effects, which are positive, but you were here to solve this problem. We solved this problem. And I say, look, go back to what the project was supposed to do. Did it do it? That is the first number to start with. Exactly. And some of you, that original objective is not quantifiable and yeah. you need to accept that and not try and turn it into a number. And actually it becomes mm -hmm. a pass-fail criteria. So if the Thing that if the reason the project happened in the first place, for example, was to bring greater brand consistency, that's going to be a qualitative yep. measure of did it bring greater brand consistency? And the way to measure that might be to ask someone independent, but in a related area, like the head of brand, right, I've done this project. Let me show you what we did. Do you agree this is more consistent? They say yes. Tick. Job done. Yep. Pass fail. You have passed. Because that's the main measure you want to be attaching yourself to. The, the risk that some people, I think, run into is, you back to that McNamara thing, is you start measuring something simply because there is a measure available. Yeah. And it can lead you to do some really weird things, and it can lead you to do some things that are actually counterproductive. And, and again, we've touched on this in previous episodes, you know, some of you are going to have objectives that make some measures get worse. Yeah. Because, like, you know, if you're trying to hire from talent pools that you haven't tried to access before it's going to get more expensive whether that's because mm -hmm. you're moving into a new geography or whether that's because you're mm -hmm. trying to broaden the diversity of your workforce or maybe your business is launched into a new specialism and you've now got to hire loads of digital people you didn't previously lots of you have done that in the last few years right yeah hiring is going to get more difficult and more expensive and that doesn't mean you've done anything wrong because that's not the objective the objective if the objective was to keep the cost per hire down your answer is well don't do any of those things then don't go into the new territory yeah. don't <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and that's where you know over optimizing on the wrong metrics is a, is a is a bad thing if you said right. the metric for this car is to make it go as fast as possible like, great let's strip out all the body panels let's strip out all the safety functions yeah. when who needs a seat belt it's the biggest possible engine go and you've built a death trap you've built an absolute death trap but you over indexed on the one metric you cared about yeah. i'll also say back to your that you know the, the 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 talking about brand consistency some projects are are plumbing some yeah. projects are there to serve larger purposes but have no direct value immediately I'll, you know exactly. think about this plumbing you know yeah you use the water that comes out of your pipes to shower yourself and that's wonderful or you pour yourself a glass of water what all those things are good but those things are super low cost and you don't say i have better plumbing than someone else does the plumbing work yes done end of conversation now having built plumbing into the house what can you where can you take the house what can you do with the house and that's its value exactly and there are a bunch of things that are pass fail and, and actually are not 
you're not going to prove an ROI. So if I went to your company's director of facilities or whoever looks after that, whatever the most senior person is, and says, do you have a business case for your business having electricity? Yeah. They'd look at me like I was a lunatic and go, no, 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 we just, we have to have electricity. We know we, we, we've never done a cost benefit analysis to say that we need electricity. We need electricity. And some of you are in that territory. You're doing a thing because it definitely needs to be done. So, and you don't need to make a business case there. And if you start making a business case, you start looking ridiculous because, you know, for exactly the same reason, your director of facilities would look ludicrous if they turned up with a, I've done an ROI figure for having electricity. They're going to look ludicrous because no one was questioning it until they started yeah. doing this this business case. And the, the one where it often comes up is a client will ask me, how do we measure an EVP? Ah, here we and go. And I'll go, well, if we're just measuring the EVP, not the employer brand based off it, then... Mm -hmm. It can't be anything to do with the external thing because that will be the campaigns that affect how many applications. Yep. We, you know, if you're going to measure the EVP itself, all we can measure is how much do people like it. We could go and take it and test it externally. We could test it internally, but we can't test whether it actually works without actually using it. And then we're measuring yes. the use of it. And, I, and I'd even kind of say, yeah, and I even kind of say that the fact that people like it is not the most important metric. It is a position that means some people will like it and some people won't. Do the right people like it? Do the right people not like it? That's just as important as, and I, I'm a big believer in raw positivity is what's kind of killing the industry, especially but, but, over here in the States. But, 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 but like it is dangerous, right? Because, you know, if we want an EVP that everybody likes, it's like, right, everybody gets a free car, um, nobody has yeah. to work at all, blah, blah, blah. Everyone will like it, but it's not true and it's useless yeah. and it would be dangerous and we shouldn't use it's it. It's the free piece in beer situation oh, yeah. exactly and and so but also you the danger of doing that too much with an evp is that you end up with that you know i've heard some people call it the employer bland you end up with the one that no one objects to because you've got so obsessed with how much does everyone like this thing yeah. that you won't or you look like everybody else because yeah. it's safe yeah, yeah exactly and, and so there's a danger to getting too metric heavy with that kind of stuff you yeah. can still absolutely you can still you look at those measurements but you you know once you start using them to make decisions you're then going well we're now sort of uh, deciding who we should be as an employer by by a popularity thing and does the leadership yeah. actually agree with that probably not <laughs> i want to circle back to something you just said because it's so critical and i want to hear you say it again i want more people to hear you say this us see this and believe this and understand it this idea that we made an EVP, is it right? Is it good? And you just said, well, we don't know till we build campaigns around it. Yeah. An EVP is very rarely public. Yeah. Yes or no? Um, they, they can be. So, I've, I've, you know. They can be, but they don't have to be. And I think that no. my, my, my point is that I think when people say, I want an EVP, what they think they want is the tagline or the top of their headline for their website. And what an EVP, the first the first value an EVP has is it claims a position and a direction. How you describe that is next step, but that position and description is not always or inherently a public facing campaign focus. No, exactly. And, and you, you absolutely can use it publicly. There's no particularly good yeah. reason to keep it secret. And so I've known clients kind of use it in, you know, they've got a page on their website that says, why join us? And it's literally a cut and paste of their EVP in the those, Some of those are mine. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I've done that before. Yeah. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a stupid thing to do. Why not? And, and likewise, you might immediately, you've, I've said to clients before when they go, how quickly can you deploy an EVP? And I was like, well, as soon as you've agreed what the EVP is, you can send it to your external third-party recruiters yeah. immediately. And like yeah. you can deploy that instantly. Um, so like you can use the raw thing, but some of you are not going to. And, you know, yeah. particularly, I mean, maybe more if it's like, particularly if it's a, a target value proposition for graduate recruitment, you're going to create okay. a thing that this is why graduates should join us. And you're probably never going to show that document to the grads. You're going to show them a beautiful campaign full of young people with smiley faces, enjoying themselves and earning lots of money. And, and you know, all the things that sure. you're going to do in that graduate recruitment campaign, you're probably not going to show them the proposition document because it's a bit dry. Um, so can you measure the proposition? Yes, you can, but you can't measure, you can't measure that it's right. You can measure how, much, how attractive it is. You can measure yes. how true it is. You can measure whether it, you, you will later be able to measure will the creative built off it outperform the yeah. creative that you had before that. But you can't actually measure did we get it right? Because in order to do that, you would have to create every possible EVP and evaluate this against every possible <laughs> that There yeah. isn't yeah. a way of doing that. Um, really, but yeah, you yep. could, you could measure how much do people like it, 
and you could measure how much do people think it's true. Yeah. Or how strong it is or how different it is or how compelling it is. How distinctive. How, how, yeah, distinctive. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Completely. So I've done that before with, with clients when we've been looking at stuff is, is, you know, do some testing where we go, does this sound different to what everyone else says and try and get mm -hmm. a sort of qualitative measure on that? Absolutely, you can do that. The reality is, though, most of you are not testing at that stage yeah. very rigorously, if at all, in many cases. Yeah. So if, and I've been asked this, if asked when you deliver an EVP, and let's yeah. let's pretend for the sake of argument, let's put some, you know, some structure on this thing. It is a more internal positional document. It's yeah. not a campaign. It's not, it's not sexy language. We haven't put anything cool on it. It's just, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is why you should join us. Okay. Having delivered that, senior leadership goes, how do you know you got that right? What is the right answer to that? So I think there's, there are some things that you can measure and report to that senior leadership. So number, if it's with the internal one, I think one thing that's often underrated that you need to measure is, did everyone yeah. understand it? And particularly if, you, if you've created a thing yes. that is like a manifesto from the business to its employees, your number one question is, did anyone understand it? Before you can get into, did they like it? And is it differential? And any of the rest of it is just, did everyone understand it? Did it make sense in the mm -hmm. Bucharest office? Did it make sense when it went to Mexico? Did it make sense when it translated into different languages you know for some of you that is the most kind of key thing because actually all the employee engagement studies say just if people understand what they're part of better engagement yeah. will go up you don't even need Apparently. to be making a very good promise if you're just making life clearer for people engagement improves without necessarily having improved anything tangibly at all so you know number yeah. one is yes you do need to measure comprehension um, okay. That certainly applies also when you're doing purpose projects and values projects as well. Comprehension, massively important to measure. What's the secret ingredient in a great career site? It isn't the photo or the headline. It's not the layout or the features. The secret to a great career site is that it is based on a strategy, one that takes advantage of a company's unique resources and presents it in a compelling package. Are you getting the strategy you need to build a great career site from your employer brand or recruitment marketing agency? If you'd like to learn more about how a strategy-focused approach leads to a better career site, check out the award-winning work from 33, with offices in New York, London, and Bristol. Then you can get into, okay, now what impact did it have on those people? Did it, how did it make them feel? How did it make them behave differently? And absolutely, you can get into some, to, to some kind of interesting stuff there. And then you can measure the outcomes, of course, which is, did turnover drop? Did satisfaction in the staff survey drop? Think yeah. measures that already exist, right? Yep. You should be moving those numbers, but you're not the only contributor to those numbers now. Exactly. exactly. Suddenly you're into the realms of, we are a component in that, but so is the behavior of their line manager. So is the way that L&D are training line managers to be line managers. Oh, oh, that list goes on and on and on. Exactly. So I am now a contributor to those numbers. I'm not the sole. Whereas the, did everyone understand this document I sent everyone? That That's you. That's on you. Did yep. you manage to do that? Did you come up with a thing that everyone understood? Did you come up with a thing that had some validity that people kind of reacted to in a positive way that's on you yeah gotcha yeah no that makes it, sense yeah I, I, sorry no, 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 just, it, it, it is like i think the the internal comms world the the advantage you've got is that it is a more measurable world because we know where these people are and and we kind of we know that they are on the payroll whereas yep. when you're doing external recruitment the danger is quite a lot of the easiest measures to buy have so many unknowns within them so you know i think we talked about this on the last one if you buy an external survey on how you're seen externally what you don't know is how good are those people who answered the survey they might all be people yeah. who aren't good enough for you to hire or they might all be exactly the people you wanted to hire you have no way of knowing and that's the frustrating thing with external research is you yeah. don't know the quality of the people answering the survey and you do care about the quality of the people answering the survey yes absolutely absolutely <sighs> maddening yeah but Whereas the internal audience, they were all good enough to get hired. They are all on the payroll. Mm -hmm. That's that problem has disappeared, and and you can now pay attention to the data you're getting out of that audience because it's all relevant, definitely relevant. Okay, so that leads us into a big picture to the question: How do you measure your employer brand? How do you measure the value of all this stuff? I, there's so many ways to go. We've already kind of limited the field a bit. 
yeah. uh, in terms of what you should care about. The fact that you can get numbers is not necessarily useful. The fact that, you know, it, it does really go back to what did you want this brand to do? Was it there to attract more people? Was it there to, to elevate your standing and position to talent? Was it there to uh, communicate a very particular compelling position and, 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 and value proposition? Beyond that, how are you measuring stuff? I think I go back to asking yourself the question, who am I measuring this for? And that's going to mm -hmm. dictate the things that you should be measuring. So sometimes you're measuring it for yourself, for your own ability to measure your own work, for your own ability to justify your own work and to, you know, keep an eye on your third party suppliers. And you need to think about what, what do I personally want to have done well? What do I want to be able to look my line manager in, in the eye and say, this happened? And actually, for a lot of you, that is going to be about how did the business react to what I did? And actually, their happiness with what you did is probably far more important than you think. And then I think you can get into, you know, um, you start to look at, OK, now let's look at the impacts of the various activities. So we built a new website. OK, what are the stats from the new website? Or we did an ad campaign. OK, brilliant. What are the stats from the ad campaign? Or we did this. That's where you're going to get into those pieces. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's crucial to keep them separate. I know April Dunford yeah. talks about it. She's a positioning expert who I adore. Uh, okay, good. I'm glad you read her. Um, she talks about this idea of how do you measure a position? And the answer is, well, you don't go out and you put it on the website because when you're measuring the website, you're measuring the copy and the creative and the layout and all these other things. But the position has to kind of be not quite a leap of faith, but a belief that this is who we are. Yes. Our job at that stage is to find out how to communicate that clearly, compellingly, attractively to the audience that cares about us. I think the game of, you know, employer branding is that it, it does go back to how do we get lots and lots and lots of people to love us? It's like, no, you don't want that. You really, really don't want that. You need to know what you're trying to achieve. And the first thing you're trying to achieve is to be clearly yourself. The brand is an extension. It's a distillation. It's a, it's a, it's a peeling away of the onion to some extent of saying, this is how we are different as a company. And yeah. the challenge most people have, especially, you know, if they're either relatively new or in-house and they don't have a lot of experience doing this, or they don't know how to tell leadership that that is the bigger metric. It's not about clicks and views and whatever the glass door ratings going up or down it's about look if we can't per, per project a, a a differentiated value we're just like everybody else and that ultimately is the wrong place to be i mean there's a big debate in the product world at the moment and that has been raging for decades about differentiation versus distinctiveness and you know anyone yeah. who's connected with me on linkedin will see i posted a video literally yesterday from you know, a fairly heavyweight marketing expert in the UK sort of arguing, oh, both of those two extremes are are overrated. I mean, I think the thing with yeah. differentiation is some of you get too obsessed with differentiation because okay. actually you're not very often competing with your direct competitors. So actually how much you're differentiating from them doesn't really matter very much. It's how much you're differentiating for these very big, because that's where you're actually hiring from, in which case, you know, how much you're differentiating from the immediate competitors doesn't matter so much there. And he draws the distinction between differentiation and distinctiveness. And distinctiveness mm -hmm. is kind of identifiability and consistency. So when I see clarity, how much do I understand? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's a useful idea that not enough people think about is, are we being distinctive? But the other thing, of course, that you have to deal with as employer brand people, as opposed to brand people is, you've got that halo of the bigger brand, many of you. Yes. And that's something or, that's outside. Or don't have. Or well, yeah, don't have in many cases. But it's outside your control. And for some of you, yeah. it's very, loads of it is outside your control. Actually, all of your adverts not only have to have this logo, they have to have this strap line, they must be purple, it must have a donkey in it. You know, you, you've been given a bunch of rules that you have yeah. no control over. And those might be the things that are making people either love or hate you or feel indifferent or that make... Yeah. Right. And you can't change those. So you can measure that, and it's useful for you to measure that, but you know that you're probably not going to make yourself very popular if you come back with a report that says everybody hates our logo. That's very brave. Yeah. That's courageous to the point of finding yourself unemployed. Yeah, bye-bye. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, you need to be aware of those problems. But actually, that's not a measure of your, your EVP or your employer brand mm -hmm. or any campaign mm -hmm. that you've run. That yeah. is a, th 
a context in which you are having to do your job. Now you need to have a kind of grip on that measurement because that is the world in which you are playing your game, but you're not going to change it because no. you can't. And, and, and that's the reality for many of you. If you work for a big consumer brand or a big famous company, you're always playing with that piece. Yeah, you know, and if you work for Elon Musk, you are always working for Elon Musk, and yeah. that some days is good and some days bad. And I, you know, to me, the joke is always, what's the fastest way to increase the value of your employer brand? Double your stock price. Yeah, I mean, simple as that. That's easy. It, I mean, everybody's going to want to work for you now. It's we, really we, simple. We've talked about that halo effect before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. If you, you know, so I mean, a few years ago, I was working with Lonza, who are the company who actually made the Moderna vaccine during COVID, and you know. No one had heard of Lonza except us as yeah. their agency. And then suddenly, like, oh, you're helping save the planet. Okay, now people have heard of you. You're in the news and not in the business news, in the news news. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and that that has huge benefit to your ability to recruit. Was it anything to do with what anybody in talent acquisition did? Well, no, not really. It was to do yeah. with a global pandemic and, you know, <laughs> that, that worked out well for their ability to hire talent. It worked out very badly for, you know, how much talent they needed. I mean, goodness, they suddenly had to hire like crazy. But, you know, this is, this is the reality in terms of what, what you're living within. And so you need to kind of get a sense of what are the things I'm measuring that are actually down to me and my project and my team and my agency yeah. and, and, and the things that I'm doing. And then what are the ones that aren't entirely within my control, but I still need to know about, still need to measure, still relevant, still will affect my ability to do my job and all the rest of it. But actually, I am no longer solely in control of those things. I might be able to influence yeah. them significantly. I might be barely a rounding error in that measurement but i still need to know what it is because it's going to have a huge influence on my ability to do things so you know your corporate reputation might be a very big part of that yeah totally okay so i want to one last question before we start to wrap this up i know we could probably talk a lot more about data and oh, let me rephrase i think sure you could talk more a lot about <laughs> data uh mr engineer but I th my my feeling is that when people ask me james how should we measure this project how should we measure our employer brand how should we measure all this stuff what they're really asking, the question behind the question is this, and it's going to sound stupid and pedantic, but I think it's true. What do we put on our dashboard? What do we put on our reports? What do we show people in terms of how we measure it? And I'm assuming we're talking longitudinally, month over month, quarter over quarter. You want to show overall value. So I have a lot of answers to this, but what is your first kind of gut reaction to what do you put in the dashboard to kind of show this is doing what we wanted it to do? Well, unfortunately, the one you want to put in there is quality of hire, but you can't. Yeah. Okay. And for reasons we've talked about before is... So many reasons. Quality of hire is very difficult to measure. And even if you could measure it, really what you want to measure is quality five years after you've hired them, not quality on day one. Right. You, so the one you want to put in there, you can't. And so it's going to be different depending on your business and your priorities. For some of you, it will be about volume of application. If you're in retail or you know one of those large scale recruiters, you're, you're probably going to be using volume numbers. It's volume of applications, yeah. volume of shortlist, volume, you know, speed. It's going to be in the, that kind of territory. For some of you, it's not. And where you are trying to hire a small number of more elite things, then it probably is going to come into reputation and rankings and standing. Because you, what you really care about is quality, but you can't measure it. So we're going to have to yeah. find a proxy for quality, and we're going to know that that proxy is not very good. What you should do, however, is be crystal clear with everyone you're showing that number about what's wrong with it. Don't try and pretend that your proxy is good. I always say, tell them the flaw in your proxy before they think of it, because they will think of it. And it is better to be upfront with them and say, what we'd love to be able to measure is quality of hire, but we can't do that. So I'm having to use this for now. And we know it's imperfect, but it's the closest thing we can get. And they will, yeah. you know, I've never had anybody respond badly to that level of honesty about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the thing, because too many people already think that we're treating employer brand like magic, very pixie dust. We sprinkle on things to make them just completely. delightful and delicious and wonderful. The more you can pull that back to true business terms and talk about it in terms of look. And the truth is, there isn't a team in your company who has a metric that is clear as day to say that's the answer other than sales. Yeah. <laughs> End of list, right? That's it. Everybody else has fudging and okay, well, a big asterisk here. And by the way, we can't collect perfect data here because X, Y, and Z. It's okay. 
it's okay to live in that world. In fact, the more you live in the world, more the more you look like you know what you're talking about. You have that kind of confidence in the direction, the approach, the thinking around it to justify and to explain, hey, this is why it's not a perfect proxy. I, I think a fascinating thing that happened in the UK probably about a year ago that caused enormous argument between data scientists. There's a, there's a company really famous in the UK, but you won't have heard of, uh, called Timpsons. And Timpsons is a place that cuts keys and repairs shoes. And we, I have no idea why those two things coexist in the UK, but they really do. Like you, you go to the place that cuts keys and, sh and, and replaces shoes, and sure. that's what it does. And Timpsons- Make sushi, get a yeah. sweater, right? Yeah, and sure. Timpsons is a family-owned business, but you'll find a Timpsons in most cities. You know, London, there are loads of them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the fault places. They're a brilliant employer. They do lots of um, really interesting things. They are one of the top employers for people leaving prison. They've got a really well-oiled program. Oh, wow for yeah. how to give people employment after they come out of prison. But the, it, it's a family-owned business, and that allows them to be quite ruthless with their decision-making. And recently, the Timpson, who is currently in charge, said, yeah, I started looking at all our data. We had all this data for what people bought and how they bought and how often they bought and all the rest of it. And there was so much data, I didn't understand it. So we've thrown out all of our point-of-sale equipment, and we just measure how much money did each shop take and how happy are the customers. And they binned all that because he said we were collecting data that actually wasn't helpful and that wasn't mm. it was distracting us from what really mattered, which is okay. how much money are we making? How happy are our customers? And actually, those are the things that matter. And they and it caused an yeah. enormous argument among data scientists, some of whom said this yeah. is genius, some of whom said this is heresy. But they said we're going to collect less data. Yeah. and then pay a lot more attention to it because you can't argue if those are the only two data things you're collecting everyone yeah. is acutely aware of them everybody is very focused on them yeah. and what you measure will affect your behavior in a way that is quite profound and their solution yeah. was let's measure less and then we know what we're focused on so maybe some of you should measure less yeah Though you have to be very particular about what you're measuring. I mean, I, look, the start, the start of that story was we looked at all our data and we looked at it seriously and we considered, are we using this? Is yeah. this helpful? How does this lead to? So the consideration of that data is super interesting. I'm going to tell a British story of my own. Okay. Enjoy. And you're going to correct me where I'm wrong. So Marks and Spencer is a big, big store. They sell clothes. Am I right? Yes. I'm getting this right? Okay. So a number of years ago, they realized they had all these uh, clothing uh, create manufacturers in country and they said, we make a, save a lot of money if we just push all this stuff out of country and we save a ton of cash and for three years they saved a lot of money what they did not see was that by having great relationships with their suppliers in country those suppliers invested in that relationship they brought the best ideas to marks and spencer first and said we see these trends we anticipate these trends and so it put marks and spencer in this place where it was elevated people thought of them not as just a generic clothing seller but oh wow they're on they got the pulse and there was a premium paid for that Yep. As soon as they off, offshored that stuff, the quote-unquote numbers went up, but suddenly they cut off their data source about what's coming up. And, and very quickly, they found themselves on the back foot saying, oh, wait, why isn't anybody seeing this as a premium place to work? So it's very easy to say, the number said this, therefore we did that. It's just that you have to think of it in a structural systemic framework to say, what are the other data points we're not seeing? I think that's yeah, the, yeah. the thing that we should consider is we talked about how you, you can focus on the data points that you have. And there are a lot of data points, but there's also a lot of data points that you don't have and you may never have. Yeah. And so how do you let allow that to kind of lead your thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a trick. I mean, of course, M&S, wonderful business, mostly wonderful because it's uh, since, since the start of this year is now a 33 client. So we're very delighted to have M&S on, on board as a, you know, but an absolute icon of the British high street. And, you know, actually now they're, they're a food retailer as well. It's, it's where I get yeah. my, my weekly food shop from as well. Um, but they are... Yeah. We're not looking for sponsors, by the way. And even Marcus Spencer, thanks so much, but no. We've already won them as a client. I don't know why I'm being so nice. Yeah. But, but, you know... They, <laughs> There is an important point here is every so often you're going to need to step back and do do sort of a, a, a horizon view of it and, and, and actually do that with your internal stakeholders as well is sometimes you need to admit when you've won. So even if you had an objective mm -hmm. of, of driving applications, there's going to come a point where you've succeeded and you're doing that well enough now. And what you shouldn't yep. do is carry on trying to do even more and more. There will come a point where actually, okay, we've done that now. Now we need a different objective. Now that yep. we've made, and, and for an awful lot of you, right, this might be, you might initially set out to go, right, no one's heard of us. So objective number one is just for more people to have heard of us. Boom, right, mm -hmm. let's focus on yep. that. If you succeed at that, everyone's heard of you now, or enough people, the right people have heard of you, 
you don't need to do that anymore and there's diminishing yeah. returns to continuing to do that now it's okay now our new objective is to change what those people think of us and, and you need to go mm -hmm. off on that you still need to measure that old objective to make sure you haven't dropped off but there is a really good reason why you might want to stop and go hang on a minute have we done it and and, and that can be you know talking to your existing stakeholders it can be you know talking to the hiring managers about what they're seeing you know you, you it's a good idea to every so often just stop and go wait a minute what are we doing and why let's yeah. just reevaluate that initial stage of do we still need to do that thing or have we or have we got somewhere else or has the world changed in a way that no longer makes that the, the the sensible target okay so to close yes one or two things every business should be thinking about or doing when it comes to their outbound metrics or the output metrics so i think have fewer of them and pay more attention to the ones that make it through that process. Love it. And also, I think particularly don't neglect the fact that some measurement can also be a communications opportunity. So your staff survey mm -hmm. is a communications opportunity to staff. An applicant survey is a communications opportunity to applicants. So some measures have a communications value as well as a measurement value. And I think you should think about that and take take advantage of that. But yeah. measurement is certainly not something where more is better. Yeah. Yeah, you can take the temperature of a person too many times, right? This is just not going to change very often, not going to change very quickly. Once an hour is plenty for most people. You can literally make someone ill by taking exactly. their temperature too often because you make them worry that they're really sick, right? And it's the same, it's the same thing. Like there is, an, there is an effect of your measurement that you should be aware of. Yeah. My own, my uh, kind of leave behind or last thought is, you know, when you're reporting and talking about metrics, I think, and going back to what we said very early on, different people care about different things. Yes. Don't make a single dashboard and say, everybody should want this stuff. I've personally made the mistake of trying to make a, I mean, I've made some gorgeous dashboards and reports that were two-sided legal paper. And you're like, yeah. wow, this is cool. Did the, you know, did, did uh, Tufty come in and design this for you? It's like, no, 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 no. It's not like that. But I was giving them to everybody and they would look at it and go, uh, what am I supposed to look at? So yeah. focus your metrics on the person who needs to see them, which might mean different reports for different audiences. In fact, it probably does mean exactly that. Absolutely. It's very easy to get carried away with your Excel pivot charts. And yeah, it's like, it's a good thing that you're that into that data. But yeah. the other person, the, everyone except your immediate line manager probably doesn't need that level of information about what you're doing. Exactly. So. All right. That's a great place to end it. Marcus, as always, been a pleasure. Absolutely. Likewise, James. Talk to you later. Cheers. Up. Thanks for listening to The Brand Plan. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word. 